Amber Brown, podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre and has a number of spin off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, learning development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand. This is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to our special guest interview for this week, and it's Tyler S. Clark from Dream Firms. Hello to you. Hello, pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Tyler, people may not know who you are, even though you're globally famous. Tell us real quick about what you do in your world. I think globally famous might be uh, a little too kind, uh, but within the space, I guess there's some recognition at this point. Uh, long story made short, uh, I've never had a moment in my life where sales and marketing, specifically for the entre- entrepreneurial accountant, has uh, not been a part of it. My uh, father launched the first ever marketing consulting firm for accounting professionals. I grew up under his tutelage, of course. And my uh, grandfather launched uh, one of the uh, most successful accounting firms in the 70s coming out of World War II and built up many of the uh, pricing and sales and marketing strategies that are now commonplace in today's accounting profession because of my father's expansion with his consulting firm, New Clients Incorporated. That brings me to myself, which is uh, with Dream Firms, where we create generational wealth and impact for entrepreneurial accountants by systemizing how they attract, win, and retain the business of their dream clients. And we've got a whole bunch of ways that we do that, but uh, we primarily help uh, accounting firms to um, primarily get their uh, dream clients. That's what we do. You speak very fondly of your father. He's got such a legacy. Some people strive hard to get out of the shadow of their parents. My father was an alcoholic and he was an ex-Marine and it didn't turn out well for him when he came out of the Marines and he turned to drink and he wasn't a good father figure. And in some ways I've become the father that my father wasn't. I don't drink and he's pushed me totally the other way, but You've stepped right into those shadows, Tyler, and and maybe emerging out the other side. Talk to us a bit about that mindset. Yeah, well, I've always believed uh, in a principle, which is take what is useful and discard what is not. And my father had many, many useful principles that served him well throughout his life. And uh, I think I wanted to buck the trend, uh, (laughs) as I think most young uh, young sons want to want to do, and I tried to do so, and was successful in certain ways. But something about the accounting profession always called back, uh, called me back to it. And uh, you know, my father was uh, an alcoholic. Um, he was a, a drug user, but uh, sober pretty much right from the time I was born. So um, I'm sorry to hear that about your father, but I think again, you know, people can change, and 
when you see the strength that takes to change and make such a, a hard change like that possible, I think there are things that are worth learning from that individual. And like I said, uh, I think we took the best parts of it and, and hopefully keep improving upon them. Yeah, and I just want to dwell on this a little bit more. And uh, we're in a crazy world right now. Everybody seems to be contending with something. Uh, we're talking briefly about our parents, but in the crazy COVID times, lockdown, social isolation, mental health, well-being, everything else like that, you're an American living in a different continent, if you like. We're, we're all going through something, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think everyone's battles and struggles are unique and, and personal to them. Uh, but one of the things that we're very big on at, at our company and, and something that has served me well is just the concept of, of leadership. Uh, and there's a, a, a very successful client of ours who's now a, a, a part-time coach as a part of our community, Nay Jackson Atkins. And uh, she said something uh, to me that I'll, I'll never forget, which is you do it scared. And then she changed it to, well, you don't do it scared. You do it with reverence. And I find that when people are trying to make changes, it's usually the fear of the change itself that prevents them from wanting to, uh, to make those big hurdles uh, or to accomplish those big milestones. And uh, yeah, I just, I've always loved that either do it scared or it's not really fear, it's reverence. Like you revere the opportunity. So get excited about your future. And I find it's much easier to change. Mm. And in this world of change, there's a call for agility and adaptation. I learned this proverb from a Colombian camp counselor. I was doing a summer camp in the US and the guy I was with uh, looking after all these young kids was Colombian. And he taught me this. And I can say it in Colombian, but I'll say it in English. Nothing in life is worth having that doesn't lie on the other side of a risk. Nothing in life is worth having that doesn't lie on the other side of the risk. And speaking into leadership, in these challenging times, you've got to be a little bit vulnerable. You've got to do it scared. You've got to take a risk. Otherwise, it's not you're not pushing yourself in a fight. It's not really worth having. Yeah, it's perfectly said. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I find is interesting is I make a big distinction between uh, something that is simple is not necessarily easy. Like it is relatively simple to successfully market and grow an accounting firm with the type of clients you want. That does not necessarily mean it's easy to do because the old saying still applies. If it was easy to do, everyone would do it. And the truth is, is not everyone has their dream firm. A lot of people have firms that they're trapped in that they wish they could fire themselves from. And there is inherent risk that comes with, again, those changes, whether it's a personal change, alcoholism, uh, personal uh, mental health related to the global situation at large, whether it's related to making a, a large transformational uh, decision or shift in your business, uh, these can be simple things, but do not conflate that with easy. Now then, la vida se consiga sin arriesga al otro lado. I've probably butchered that, and forgive me to our Colombian listeners. <laughs> there you have it. Nothing in life is worth having that doesn't lie on the other side of the risk. Tyler, what kind of shape is the accounting CPA profession in right now from what you're looking at? You know, uh, this is a, a wonderful question, but I, I find that it is a dissatisfied category. Uh, and what I mean by that is there has been a historical approach to basically every facet of running an accounting firm that is not as conducive with what people want today. And so as a result of this, I know it can and should be better. I know I could or should be further along. I find a lot of people in the profession are now saying, but now what? Uh, who can help take us to this next level? What are the communities? What are the what are the things that are actually working? How do I take as much guesswork out of this as possible? Uh, long story short, I'd say that the 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 bar is much higher for what the profession is looking for, but I don't know if there's a, a lot of meaningful answers to uh, that particular question or set of problems, but there are people who are working really hard on them like you and me and a lot of other influencers and in your community. 
But to me, it's just, uh, again, I, I think that there's a well of, I'll just, I think dissatisfaction is the best way of, ex, of expressing it uh, because the space, I think, has been just kind of stagnant for a long time, uh, but it looks like there's some real disruption coming to it uh, right now, actually. it's a great point. Well, mate, we talk a lot about the complacency or inertia in the accounting profession. They've done things the same way for so long, and they've never really had that stimulus to change. Now, COVID has certainly moved the dial. They've been asked to step up by their clients. But still, as a profession, they're fairly intransigent. Some of them are doing it well, but others... Uh, you said, what does the accounting profession need to change? A lot of them are still with a, an elegant business model where they get paid every month and it's required by law. So why do they really need to change? How coachable are they as a breed, do you feel, Tyler? Surprisingly so. Uh, again, I, I've done a lot of coaching in a lot of different spaces, but the reason I say I can feel this well of dissatisfaction is this is what I hear and see. I mean, I've conducted at this point well over 1,500 one-on-one coaching sessions, many of which with the highest performing entrepreneurial accountants in the space. They want to do well, don't they? They want to do better. They want something more. Exactly. They, and it's not just more for themselves. And that's, you know, that's one of the main criteria I like to see for, for the clients that we choose to work with is it has to be about something much larger than themselves. And I think that that's kind of the, the shift, or at least my perceived shift that I see taking place is accounting was historically viewed as a pretty safe career choice. And it still is. But I think when people talk about AI and robots and, you know, they're coming for all the data entry jobs, well, the profession clearly is attempting to make this shift, but the people who are really making this shift happen to me are the ones that always have a vision that's bigger uh, than themselves, because then that impacts their team, that impacts their clients, it impacts their families. And that's, you know, that's the best driving motivation in the world to to do the hardest thing, which is again, to, to change. So you know, while it's easy to sit back and do 1040s and in certain countries, it's required to have an accountant, although that's not in the U.S. and it certainly should be. Uh, to me, it's more of like if you if you truly embrace what it means to be an entrepreneur, you're a problem solver. And if one of your problems is you're working too much for too little pay, well, you're going to need to solve that problem. And there's a, a lot of ways to approach it. But definitely embracing what clients are looking for, which is more, not less service, I think is one of the best ways to do it. You use the phrase entrepreneurial accountants describing some of the coaching clients you've worked with, and they're not known traditionally for the entrepreneurial nature because they're not always business owners themselves. They've employed them in corporate roles. They've got professional qualifications that they've got to adhere to certain regulatory standards, and they're bound by a code that an entrepreneur is not bound by because entrepreneurs run wild and free, don't they? So is that a bit of a misnomer, Tyler? Can we put accountants and entrepreneurs together like that into one person? I certainly hope so. Uh, I, I much prefer the 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 client who thinks of themselves as an entrepreneur first and as an accountant second than the inverse. And this is the you know this has been addressed many times through many different books, but I think the one that would be most commonly uh, known to this audience would be the E myth. And it's again the idea of we're very good technicians, but to go from a very good technician as an accountant to now whether it's a tax planner, a CFO, whatever the case may be and make that transition now over to a successful entrepreneur. It requires you to develop and learn many different skill sets that are outside of simply being a good technician. And so my my hope is that we have uh, more entrepreneurs who happen to be accountants because I I love the code of ethics, right? Like if anything, that's a a point of strength. That's not a point of weakness. I think one of the biggest biggest, uh, shortcomings of of entrepreneurs who kind of fly loose and free is they don't really have that moral code, that guiding light. I think there are certain things that are maybe a little antiquated in how that that might uh, stifle certain parts 
of the accounting profession. But at the same time, I, I, I appreciate what it does because I, I want I want clients with integrity and I want the space to have integrity at large. But to me, it's more of just the uh, entrepreneurship requires risk taking, but accountants are great at gauging risk. And I think that that's, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's happened. You're taking eating it too, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's a good point. Talk to us about the concept of a dream client. A lot of accountants I know, they take whatever comes to them and someone knocks on the door says, I need an accountant. The answer is yes. Well, let's come to a price. And they're not too discerning, too bothered, dare I say that? So there's something better for them out there. Talk to us about that. Yeah, and I've got really two two different points to make on this. Uh, The first of which is if you're just getting your feet wet, in other words, if you're really trying to make your first $100,000 a year in annual revenue, um, don't be afraid to say yes more often than no. I think it takes time to understand who your dream client is. You need experience, you need revenue. I don't want desperation to set in. And since you're the owner, you're not required to work with anybody. So if you find that this isn't a good relationship in three to six months from now, it's too time consuming, it's not enough profit, they're, they're rude to you. I mean, the list can go on and on in terms of why you would remove a client. Well, you're not obligated to stay with them, but I'd much rather you have that experience where they could be a dream client and you may not know it, but you might just kind of have two, you might just say, I only want, you know, $3 million and up businesses. And that may not come to you for a couple of months or maybe even longer than a year before you start to generate those types of opportunities. And and again, I'd rather you have revenue. I'd rather you be in a safe place and then start to strategically make some changes in your firm. Um, So the first thing that I always say is, is if you're below uh, six figures, don't be afraid to say yes to quite a few things, even if it's a little outside of your comfort zone. And then you'll really find what a dream client means to you because you'll have experience to base that upon. Um, and then once you get over six figures, right, it actually inverses very quickly. Now, as opposed to saying yes to the majority, you end up saying no to the majority of things because you have a much clearer understanding of what you want, what you don't want. You've got a solid base of clients to build upon. You can start to get your referral systems moving a lot faster as well. So uh, that that to me is a, a really important just sort of distinction. Uh, but in terms of what really defines a dream client, I like to say, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I have, <laughs> I have clients who, who want to get away from 1040s and being able to do year-end tax filings. And I have a guy who, who loves and lives for that. And he's Mr. 1040. I have clients that only want high-level CFO, big tax planning engagements. I have clients that want easily delegatable work. Uh, But I think that the main criteria is that you have to be able to understand what their pain points are and how your services will take those pain points and turn them into things that they are happy and genuinely excited about. Most entrepreneurial accountants really struggle with that singular point, which is what pain are they in? And then how do your services transition them to where this is no longer something they're concerned about? And if you're more specific with who that person is, right, the problems and pains of someone who's running an e-com business is not the same pains and problems as someone who's running a digital marketing agency. And so being able to articulate that and speak to those things much clearer will ultimately help you uh, acquire clients faster and make sure you have a really well-defined dream client profile as well. Mm. I'm hearing you talk about problem-led approaches to coming up with an ideal profile or avatar. If I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, myself included, our main concerns, problems are paying the bills, sleeping well at night. And these are quite generic things that are not related to whether I run a digital agency or run a factory. So where do you stand on niching and sectors and avatars like that? Yeah, well, um, so the first thing is, right, pain point is uh, I can't pay my bills, but the pain point is always the emotion, right? 
So it's, I'm so stressed that I can't, I'm not sure I can make payroll next month, right? I'm so stressed that I don't know if the IRS is going to come bash down my door, right? And, and again, it's like, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm feeling frightful. These are all various emotions. And it's like, but once you have, again, this difference maker of the, of the entrepreneur accountant, the firm that can take them from that emotion to where it's like, I sleep easy, right? I know I can make my bills. I've got my cash flow budgeted. I've got my forecast in place. And it's, it's the emotional difference that makes a huge, huge, huge point. Uh, but to answer your question directly in terms of, am I a fan of, of uh, niche selection and going into particular sectors of the market? I'm a huge fan of that because there's, there's, a, there's a term that I talk about a lot inside of our community and really on any coaching call, especially for people who are new to dream firms and, and what we're all about, which is <clears throat> if you want to have efficient marketing or sales and a more profitable fulfillment system as well, and a more profitable operation system where you have less turnover and your team's more likely to buy in and you can pay them higher salaries and you can do all of these things. It has a lot to do with your efficiency for your marketing and your sales. In other words, how, much, how, how do you spend less time and less money to get people to be willing to invest in a premium price for your accounting services, right? I think that the the primary issue that most firms struggle with when they're trying to migrate from a uh, your, your kind of standard historical, take anybody, work with everyone, uh, low price, what's the lowest price type of client and type of firm to transitioning to a, a dream firm where it's higher prices, lower volume of clients, uh, overall just a higher service delivery and better experiences in order for someone to truly understand the difference between that firm and a dream firm, well, they, they, they have to it has to be as relevant to that person as possible. If you want to be more efficient, you have to be more relevant. Then the question I always like to ask people is I go, have you tried on any baby clothes recently? And it always sounds really weird, but they always say, no, that's really weird. Why would you ask that? You go, because it's not relevant to you, but you probably went into a store that spoke to you. Maybe you're into sports and you like that swoosh logo across your chest and you're willing to spend three, four, five times more for that t-shirt than for another t-shirt that may look nearly identical. And the reason for that has a lot to do with because it's more relevant to who you are as a person. And that same tiny, tiny applicable lesson for clothing is the same thing for accounting, right? If I go to one accounting firm, they go, we, we work with small businesses. We do accounting, bookkeeping, tax. I go another one, they go, we do accounting. We do small business, bookkeeping, accounting, and tax. They sound the same, right? I'm just going to pick the one that has the lowest price. Like that is just the natural efficiency of the market. But if one goes, we're specific to your sector of the market and the other one just says we're for everybody. Well, I'll be much more likely to entertain a higher price for someone that is more relevant to me and my organization because that's just fundamentally the way marketing works. So yes, niches are incredibly important to just summarize that. Good marketing is nailing your colors to the mast for relevance and calling out a particular avatar, isn't it? And how do you help accountants do that, Tyler? What kind of process do you take them through? Sure. So um, there, there's a lot of pain points that come along with niche selection. I'm, I'm intimately familiar with them because I help people work through them. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just go. Because uh, often they don't know where to start, do they? It's quite bewildering. Yeah. The, the biggest one is either I think I have a niche and then they just kind of say small business or they say, well, I really want to do like IRS tax resolution. I'm like, that's a service, right? That's not a niche. And small business is essentially everything, right? It's like, you're clearly not going to work with corporate. So like we already know that's out the window. So then we're just saying, everybody, if you have a check, uh, if you have a checking uh, checking account and a pulse, I'll work with you. So that's, <laughs> that's like the opposite of taking a niche. And so then we have to say, well, it gets, right, it gets smaller than that. So the biggest, the biggest problems are, they are too specific, right? Or they're not specific enough, okay? So too specific is, right, I only wanna work with 
digital marketers who do AdWords consulting, right? It's like that pie is too small. It's too specific. It's like, but if we expand it beyond that, we'll have at least a large enough uh, sector of the market to, to, to target and give you risk diversification. The other big problem is that uh, people go, well, I, I already have a broad mix of clients. And if I start marketing towards these specific clients, all my existing clients are going to think I'm not for them anymore. Also, just patently not true. I consulted and helped many clients make this transition. You already have the most sacred thing in the world, which is their trust and their relationship. There may come a point in time in which you wish to you choose to sever from them, but it's so hard to find good accounting help right now that they're not going to leave simply because their marketing message changes. It, it doesn't work like that. Uh, so again, I find that many of the fears associated with this just don't end up happening. But once you get through the fears, the selection process is pretty easy. If you have a book of business that you've been working with, who are your best clients, right? Like it's your dream client. So your experience and the career path that you've chosen, the, the industries that you find yourself enjoying, the profit margins you're enjoying from those particular industries. To me, it's more of a, it's got to be an introspective exercise, but here's a, here's a very tactical way to approach this for the audience. So let's say you have two niches that are calling to you relatively equally. And for the sake of example, I'll just pick cannabis and crypto. Two very big spaces, growing, good profit margins. And so you take cannabis at the top of one T-chart, you take crypto, you put it at the top of another T-chart, okay? T-chart, of course, right? Positive on the left, negatives on the right. Pros and cons. Yeah, right. Go through, you assign them positives. I'm going to pick cannabis because I have uh, three years uh, 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 legislating for new cannabis laws. I've been featured in this, right? Da, 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 negatives. Uh, I don't really know the laws that well in terms of how to handle the accounting for it. And so you just list them out, but then you give them relative point values. A positive, right? On a scale from one to 10, hey, I've been legislating. I know people in the space. That's worth like a seven. And then you tally them up. And that's usually a great way to tell you which target market uh, will be a, a good selection for you is you just put a little bit of quantitative analysis to your individual experiences. And, and normally you'll have one score that's significantly larger than the other. And that will tell you which one to pick. For our international listeners, particularly in the UK, cannabis is not legal, obviously, but <laughs> Tyler is referring to the 48 US states where it is legal pretty much now and where a lot of his client race comes from. But uh, point taken, you talk a lot in your body of work, which is huge, Tyler, about how not to be the bottleneck in the growth of your firm. Speak into that a little for us, because accountants like the e-myth, they get wrapped up in, I'm good at making pies, so I'm going to start a pie shop. And uh, they find they're making pies all the time and not running a business. Yeah. So um, the, the very first thing that we do in any program and on any real meaningful conversation we have is we talk about the appreciation of, of the owner's time. And everyone likes to tout that they have uh, an hourly rate of you know, 100, 200. I, I personally think most accounting firms' hourly rates are too low, especially when you compare them to the legal profession, but separate topic for another conversation. Uh, point is, is that when you actually sit down and you do a profitability analysis for every single time you touch a client's piece of work and what your true hourly rate would need to be or what your hourly rate is versus how much you charge for the services that you deliver, uh, you quickly realize how out of whack this whole process is because of how many things you feel you still need to be in control of. And so, look, I mean, the while you can't clone yourself, and I understand that the quality of work should never be secondary, delegation and leverage is not about sacrificing quality. It's about improving and increasing quality. And so whenever you find yourself as the bottleneck in your firm, whether it's in the sales capacity, right, whether it's in some fulfillment function, 
there are ways out of that. And I've had so many people that have uh, come to me and said, well, I can't hire, you know, it's a terrible hiring market. And when we just take a look at how they're approaching it from their way, from the way their job copy looks, from the way that their hiring process works, there's so many gaps in what needs to be done to ensure that they have the right person coming in to help de-bottleneck them so that once they're in there, you don't let the sunk fallacy costs come into play, right? Well, I've already spent all this time hiring and training this person. So we got to give them a little bit more time or we've got to do this. It's like all of a sudden it's taking you more time to hire and manage someone and you're not even getting the level of leverage that you need for this. And there's a you can prevent all of that by just having incredible hiring and training principles on the front end. And when you have that belief that one, you can in fact create delegation and leverage and your quality will not actually decrease, it will increase. And you're confident in your ability to get the right people who can actually do the job and not guess whether they can do the job or find out too late that they can't. Well, I find that that's the fastest way to de-bottleneck someone. It's got to start up top and then you got to have the implementation techniques to ultimately allow it to, to uh, take root. You work with people internationally, CPAs, accountants all over the world. If they want to reach out to you, What's your process of starting a relationship with them and how do you help them? Yeah, I mean, look, if you uh, exist on social media at all, you'll find us pretty easily, Dream Firms. Um, we've got a great Facebook group, the Product Accountants Community. It's free to join, got several thousand members in there, all just uh, positive energy and, and trying to really just share as much world-class advice that we possibly can. Got a great YouTube channel as well uh, that has tons of free trainings on it. And look, if you want to take things up a level, we've got a nice introductory product known as our Practice Igniter Challenge. It's $67, gives you access to our Dream Firms network, a uh, great sales training script as well. So uh, it comes with a lot of bells and whistles. Point is, is, there's a lot of great ways to find out more about us without needing to get on the phone or enter into that particular environment. I can't take too many calls right now as it is. So check out the free stuff, everyone. We'd love to, love to learn about you. But I think, uh, I, again, there's a, a lot for people to enjoy that's already uh, readily accessible. Give us some signposting, a little bit of early basic steps for accountants that want to get started on having more dream clients. And I guess part of that is getting rid of some of the deadwood and the stuff that they don't want so they can make space for the stuff they do want. Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I I kind of use the ball and chain analogy quite a bit, which is we've got this bright vision of our dream firm in the future, but we have these, I call them legacy clients that have kind of been around for a while, maybe kind of, you know, you cut your teeth on them. You have, you certainly have some level of loyalty and respect amongst each other. Maybe you don't really like a lot of them, but they're still there, right? I mean, they're still your basic clients. And, and I, I, I'm a big fan again of like, let's, let's just do the work. The first thing we need to do is let's just do a simple profitability analysis, which is how, right? How much of the work are you touching? What's your hourly rate? What's your team's hourly rate? What's the prop, right? Standard accounting stuff, right? This is not, this shouldn't be a, but it's so rare that accountants take their own medicine, but I, I go, let's take your own medicine. Let's make sure that these are as profitable as they need to be. And if they're not, we have a choice to make. Is it the type of relationship that you would like to continue, right? Like, are they a good? Are they a good business? Do they have good growth potential? Do you think they would be willing to buy additional services if you're willing to offer them to them? Right. I mean, there's a there's a. Do you want to keep working with them? That's it. If yes, okay. This is where what's known as I, I refer to it as a client appreciation or ascension call comes into play. And we've got an, a proprietary internal software tool that like pretty much runs all this. We just need the list. So you essentially say, hey, here's the list of clients that I think would be eligible for a raise, a level up in service package, something of the case. And so once we get that list, we say, hey, no worries, right? Like we shoot out the emails, we get them booked on the calendar. But here's the main thing is we want the conversations. A lot of people, they just 
send out letters like you're fired or they send out letters like your price is going up. Here's it. Here's the thing. And I go, this is the number one reason people leave their accounting firms is lack of communication. And so when you're dealing with something as important as an appreciation or it's outwardly appreciation, inwardly ascension, when you're dealing with something as, as precious as that, and you're trying to offset the revenue loss from the clients that you know, you're going to fire, there's no ascension, there's no appreciation, right? We don't want to deal with them. Well, you want to offset that. So you want to go about it the right way to give yourself the highest chance possible of securing uh, what could be not just an offset, but an increase in total firm profitability while trimming out the bottom, I don't like the term bottom feeders, but the, the bottom part of your firm of client base that you don't really want anymore. So again, I think that that's, a, that's something that should be done. I'd argue uh, if you haven't done it as soon as possible in the last year, it needs to be done at least annually. A lot of firms do it quarterly. Some of them do it biannually. I find the most successful ones do it quarterly where they're constantly looking at their client roster, who's going up and who's going up or who's going out, right? Like there's no middle ground on that conversation. So when you're getting ready to do this for the first time, just you have to have the gumption that it's okay, that someone is going to say no to this and you're going to be okay with it. And things aren't going to stay the same as they were before. Because if you default back to that, the client will say, well, I just want to keep it the way it is. And you're like, well, okay. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that anymore. Now, all of a sudden it's like, which would you prefer? And to our point earlier about there, there isn't a lot of good accounting help out there. If you've been doing a good job, people will be happy to stay with you, agree to a higher price, especially when you're willing to articulate it through something besides a piece of math. That's brilliantly put. I'd love to get you back on another show, Tyler, and talk about social media and marketing techniques. I know that's a big part of what you do. Uh, but for now, that's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for your inspiration and your insights. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to round two. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Thank you for listening to this new Talent in Accounting podcast. This is a relatively new show, but already has over a thousand listeners. So we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections. If you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent, reach out to me on LinkedIn with a message and we'll follow them up. And as we build this show up, we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show again drop me a message on linkedin to tee up that conversation and for great podcast content elsewhere make sure you subscribe to our main show accounting influencers goes out every monday and join the forty thousand listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders experts and influencers in the accounting and fintech world finally why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.